Hello, my listeners. This is Shift M Podcast, episode 23. My name is Yegor Bogayenko. And uh, it's going to be educational again, just me here. I will talk about estimates in software engineering business. Actually, the title of the podcast will be No Estimates, which means that uh, I think that we don't need estimates in software development. And I'll explain why, and I'll show you what I would like to uh, replace them with and why. I actually wrote uh, an article about that on my blog post uh, two, three years ago, which is called How Much for This Software? The, the, the blog post is quite short and it explains uh, almost the same point I'm going to give today. It says that uh, estimates, we need them for uh, these reasons and uh, that reasons are not really valid and we can replace that with, uh, with something else. I'll go a little bit deeper now since, you know, three years uh, of experience, a little bit changed my, uh, my understanding of this subject and... Uh, and hopefully it will be interesting. So no estimates. Uh, first, let's see why do we need... No, not, not, the, not the first question is not why, but first is uh, how usually software teams work. To my experience, there are two modes, uh, two basically uh, formats of, um, of, of paying software teams and of you know, checking their work and and um, estimating their, their progress. First one is when we are when the, the customer is um, working on so-called fixed cost contracts, where there is a predefined uh, fixed price for a contract, and the team is supposed to uh, to deliver the product within the boundary of the contract. So if the contract says it's going to be um, fifty thousand dollars, then it's going to be fifty thousand dollars. And there's a predefined scope of that work, and sometimes, well, and the time is variable in most cases. So the team is supposed to deliver within that price range, and if something goes out of the range, then it has to be approved again and again. It's called fixed cost, uh, fixed cost model, which has a lot of disadvantages. And I mentioned them. Um, I had a, a few talks actually about that. I'll give you links in the in the, in the show notes where I mentioned the problem with this model. The problem is that uh, that format creates a lot of tension between developers and uh, the customer because developers are always um, always need to uh, to approve. Uh, the changes they make, and they do make changes to the scope because it's really impossible. It's impossible to predefine uh, the scope with all the pre- with all the you know uh, uh, small details and very precisely uh, before the work has been started, before we actually started to write code. If we do that, you know, really clear definition of the scope, then it's going to be sort of a waterfall model, which which proved to be not really effective because it takes a lot of time to define specification and then in most cases that specification is not going to be valid when we start actually implementing the software because the real product, the real prototype will demonstrate that something is wrong and we need to get back to the specification, need to change the specification and then the question is what do we do with the contract? 
because the contract said $50,000 before. Now we change the specification. Now it's a different amount on the contract. We need to reapprove everything. It's again the paperwork, again the approval, uh, the approval agenda through all the levels in the organization. It's difficult. So, but, but, but programmers have to do that. Programmers cannot work, cannot continue to work with the same estimate, with the same contract, when it's obvious that uh, the scope has been changed. So programmers will always try to fight with the customer, proving the customer that we need to change the, the contract, we need to change the estimate, and the customer will fight back. And the amount of energy, the amount of effort we will be spending on that, on that fight, on that negotiation and renegotiation will be huge. And that's why companies who work with this fixed model, uh, fixed cost model, they sometimes even have special departments for contract reapproval, for client relationship management, as they call it which are basically people doing nothing aside from renegotiating with the customer all these so-called change requests. And that's a waste of resources because we need to pay that people and it's, they're not really developing the software. So it's, it's actually a nightmare to my experience and this is what most people write. This is what most people say about this fixed model, uh, fixed, fixed price model. But, but, but uh, people work like that, especially government organizations, especially uh, big enterprise companies. They need to know the budget upfront, and that's why they can only work with the fixed, fixed, fixed price uh, contracts. The majority, not the majority, but a lot of outsourcing contracts are done that way because, uh, because that's the only way the customer can actually control the outsourcing team is by setting them the limit on the budget. Another approach, a different one, is so-called time and material or just pay as you go or just pay by the hour where the team is billing the customer for the amount of time they, 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 change, they, they spend and for all the resources and all the, all the possible expenses they have with basically no limits. Well, there are some, some in some cases there are some limits on the contracts where the, the, the developer is not allowed to spend more than certain limits. But still, developers, programmers, they just, they just spend their time, they just write the code for as long as they need without any thinking about whether they need to approve it with the customer. And then they just bill the customer saying that this is the amount of time we managed to spend and this is the amount of code or products or features or whatever we managed to produce pay us and the customer pays this is another extreme approach well another another on another side of the scale on the left side we can put this fixed cost model on the right one we can put the time and material and they're both wrong in my in my in my opinion because on the second on the second model which is time and material where we just pay for uh, the customer has to pay for as much as necessary uh, in that case, developers are not actually constrained by anything. They are just, uh, uh, they will spend really as much as they want. And we know that programmers are always interested in writing something more. They're always interested in not just spending money. I'm not saying programmers are just uh, greedy and just want to waste customers' money, which sometimes could be the case. But in most cases, they are they're decent, you know, honest people. But 
they are programmers and they can always find something else which needs to be fixed, which, which they want to implement, some new features, some new functionality. They can always want to uh, refactor the code. They are always interested in making the code better. So it's really difficult to, uh, to control them, to, to actually uh, to stop them at some point and to make sure that they're actually spending the amount of time they need to spend, not more. This is, this is the term called uh, gold platting, uh, quite famous in the management um, domain, which means that uh, implementers of the task are usually tend to uh, do more than is required, tend to do better, tend to do higher quality than is required, which is called, which is called gold platting. It's like I'm asking you to... Uh, uh, to make me a chair for the kitchen, the chair I will sit on, and you, you, you do make me a chair, but not for $20, but for $2,000, because you, 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 uh, you, um, you, you cover it with gold. You do the gold plating, and you return it back to me and say it's $2,000. But I, I wanted just the chair for my kitchen. I don't want to pay $2,000. I didn't want the gold old. You know, I didn't want it to be covered with gold. I, I just wanted a simple chair. But your intention was to do it perfect, to do it great for me, to, to, <laughs> to make it, you know, to make it a really exceptional chair. So you did the, we can say you did a good job, but I didn't want that. I didn't need the, the gold chair. I just wanted the chair. That's what programmers are doing if you don't control them, if you don't uh, limit them somehow, if you don't tell them that we actually need just a chair. Don't cover it with gold. So that's two situations, and so uh, the fixed cost is bad, and, and uh, time and material is bad. They have problems. And uh, here comes the estimates in both cases. On the, on, on the fixed cost, there are estimates that are on the contract. On the right case, there are also some estimates. So people are trying to, uh, customers are trying to uh, somehow limit programmers by asking them to provide estimates. Even if it's time and material, in most contracts you will see that customers are asking uh, software teams, how much will that how much that will cost? Give me some, some numbers, give me some uh, constraints. And um, sometimes customers are really, you know, holding the team to that, to that promises, or in, in some cases they just let them go over the estimates. But anyway, they ask for estimates. And I think there are two reasons why we need estimates. In, 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 either, in either case, in fixed costs or in time and material, in, in the first case, it's the, the estimate is in the contract. In the second case, the estimates could be on the contract. In, in, some, in, in most cases, they will be on the contract. Even though it's time and material, there will be something in the contract. Or they will be just verbal agreements. But there will be estimates. And I, I see for myself there are two reasons why people need estimates, why customers need estimates. First, they need to plan. They have some, they have some numbers in their bank accounts and they need to plan the future. They need to know how much they will have to pay for the software to be finished and then they can do some business with this software. So they need numbers in order to plan their business. That's why they're asking software developers for the numbers. And the second reason is that they, uh, they don't trust 
software developers. And they need that numbers in order to in order to like to to prevent this gold plating or to prevent just uh, basically wasting their money for you know in a bad way so we if i'm a customer and i have a few thousand dollars on a bank account then i'm hiring a programmer and uh, first of all i want to know how much will that cost because my bank account is limited and second i don't really trust that programmer that he or she will honestly spend my money for you know like dollar by dollar converting them to the software they create like you know that the upwork uh quite popular system for remote programmers they you know to solve the second problem with the with the lack of trust they even ask programmers to turn on the web camera and they 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 force programmers to uh, make screenshots they they need to install the software on their on their laptops and then as they go as they develop and at some points of time the the software makes screenshots to prove to the customer that the programmer is actually working on what the programmer is supposed to work on that's how they solve the problem of the lack of trust so well, whether this is a good solution or not, we'll discuss later, but that's two problems, like I said. First of all, I need to plan. Second, I don't trust. And estimates, they're supposed to solve these two problems, these two concerns. When I hire a programmer, I ask how much will that cost. The programmer says it's going to cost $5,000. Okay, now I know. First of all, I know that I have to prepare $5,000 in the bank account. And second... I know that the programmer will not go over 5,000. Whether the estimate was correct or not, whether the programmer already cheated me and, and put some extra money into this number, that's a separate concern. But as long as I have $5,000 in front of me, I know that, uh, that the programmer will not go over that limit and will not do the gold plating or whatever if i ask you know with the chair let's get back to back to the chair example if i ask the, someone to make me a chair and there's going to be a price for the chair like 25 dollars, then i know that there will be no gold plating there will be no waste of my money there so i can sort of trust the maker of the chair that for 25 dollars there will be approximately the amount of effort spent on making that chair which is equal to $25 if I don't have the estimate like I said I don't I can't really trust that the programmer will do you know will honestly spend the right amount of effort will the right amount of time for making my software that's what I think estimates are for first you ask me for the estimate when you need to plan and second you ask for estimate because you don't trust me i think that uh, i think that these two problems can be solved without estimates and they should be solved without estimates because estimates are the worst solution for both problems uh, well why is the worst First and foremost, estimates are bad, well, asking me how much before I start working as a software developer. Um, 
makes me uh, puts me in the position me and you puts us in the position where some of us will lose and some of us will win and we don't know who it's going to be so it's always going to be a win-lose situation someone will lose and i as a developer will always try to make sure that it's you as a customer who's going to lose well obviously because i'm a developer i'm smarter than you i said it many times that programmers are way smarter than their customers because programmers are doing this business for years and customers in most cases they're not professional developers they're just people with money they are business people they are maybe software management management people but they don't know exactly how much time it takes for me to write the java unit test they don't know that and i can lie to them and i will lie if you put me in the position where i have to fight with you in the win-lose option and i will always fight and i will always win so these java unit tests will cost you three times more than they actually cost because you wanted it to be that way you wanted me to fight so now i fight and i win as a customer i wouldn't want my programmers to fight with me if i'm a smart customer because i would know that that fight i will not win but they will cheat with me they will find all the possible tricks they will overcharge me in all possible ways even if they're honest people but i put them in this position by asking them how much by asking them how much it will take i uh, i'm not saying that i insult them there is not so much of an insult but i am uh, actually there is insult a little bit because there is no trust component there remember so even if i tell them that look guys i i need to plan just give me the number and the, the, but they know that after giving the number they are bound to that they they are they're, they are restricted by that number so i'm asking how much hey guys i'm not a rockefeller i my my bank account is limited how much is going to cost and they are like thinking for half a day and saying that will cost you five thousand dollars but they know that after they give me the number I will come back to that number again and again and, and tell them, look, you told me 5,000. Where is the result by 5,000? So I am turning them into my enemies, sort of. And making them enemies will only make me lose. There's no way, you know, there's no way for me as a customer to win against programmers. So that's why estimates are bad. Because they are not creating productive, healthy environment and healthy relationship between customers and programmers they are only creating tension and and um, uh, separating and distance customers and programmers from each other they are you know staying uh, from different uh, sides of the fence if i can say so so they are in in very uh, contrary positions right now they have their own needs and own interests which are not really aligned which are which are becoming opposite my goal is to make sure you don't spend over five thousand dollars their goal is to do as little as possible within the uh, the border of the estimate within the five thousand dollars so in the end who will suffer the product in the end who will have 
who will have the less features and less quality and less proper you know organization of everything and everything will be less what is it the product so do i want my product to 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 uh, do i want to jeopardize the quality of my product not really i usually give an example uh, like a metaphor with a taxi driver so when you are uh, asking we're, we're taking a taxi from the airport to the downtown and you're asking your taxi driver for how much then the taxi driver will give you the some number like twenty dollars so this twenty dollars means that uh, means that one of you will lose either you are paying more than the drive when the when the trip costs or if for example there's going to be a detour there's going to be that uh, huge traffic it's going to be the road will be closed then the driver will lose because uh, he will have to take the detour he will, sp- he will have to spend more time than usually and then the, the trip will cost like $25 or $30 but you will still pay 20 it's not a big deal with the taxi driving because it's just $20 so it's okay but in, in, in most countries now, there are like taxi meters inside the car. So they are just telling you, you can ask how much per kilometer or how much, what is your price, what, what are your tariffs? And then looking at the tariffs, you can compare a few taxi companies and say, this company is cheaper, this company is more expensive. So I take the cheaper one and then I take a trip. How long will the trip take? It depends on the trip. It depends on the situation. But I will pay you know for the for the for the mileage i will pay for the amount of time we spend on the trip i'll pay for the time the driver works for me and it's going to be it's going to be fair for both parties why is going to be fair fair because uh, you you may say that that it looks like time and material model uh, with no limit, with no cap on top of it, so you just you just agree to pay as long as, ne- as as much as necessary, and then you just start driving and you drive for as long as as it's necessary. Uh, it, it is time and material, but it has a very important component in it, which makes it fair. You can there is it's called a map, so you look at the map. You look at actually you look at the Google Maps, for example, you start driving, you you open the navigator and he opens the navigator. He actually drives by the Google Map. If it's a for example Uber driver, then there is a Google Maps in, in front of, of the driver, and you see what recommendations Google gives to you, to him. So he drives as Google says, and that means that there is some third party which kind of controls and validates that. Uh, the amount of time the driver spends and the amount of, of, of gasoline the driver spends and the amount of everything the driver spends is the optimum one. So it's, it's the right route, it's the right you know, direction, and that's the right amount of time uh, the driver spends. That's why you trust that information, and that's why you, uh, you don't need an estimate. So you don't you can ask the driver up front how much will that cost approximately and the driver will say you know i just i just took a passenger two hours ago and that passenger she paid me 22 dollars i was driving from this place to the downtown and then two hours before i was driving somebody else and she paid me 18 dollars so these are the numbers for you 
you can use that numbers as like you know as estimates as approximate numbers for the future and you can also look at the google maps and see how much time the google recomm- the google estimates it will take to take to the downtown and then putting all these numbers together you can use that information to plan of course something may go wrong there could be the huge traffic suddenly some accidents uh, on the road the, there could be anything and it's all of a sudden it may be 50 dollars instead instead of 20. it may happen but the probability of that is not so high so you can put that numbers into your plan and, and take that risk into account so i'm getting to my point that instead of estimating like we usually do in order to solve two problems, the problem of the planning and the problem of the trust, I think we need to do two things, which are which are these. For the planning problem, I would recommend to, like with the taxi driving example, I would recommend to measure the speed of development for the software developers, to measure how fast they they have been developing in the past so what is the speed of their work how fast they work and then use that numbers for the planning so instead of asking them how much it will take and getting some information from them and relying on that information which in most cases will be wrong instead of that we need to ask them or observe or calculate or measure somehow to get information about the speed of development of how fast they usually develop a, a line of java code a, a class of java a unit test in java a feature of a mobile app something so some units of work then we we we, we get that uh, we get that statistics we get that numbers we measure the speed of that team or of that developer and then we, we have this information for the planning. That's first. And second, to solve the problem of the trust, I would suggest to use uh, some instruments, some tools for the validation of, uh, for the control and the validation of how the team or the programmer moves forward and how effectively and how uh, correctly the team spends my money. I will list a number of tools for that now but let me reiterate again so we have two problems we need to plan we need we and we need trust that's why we need estimates that's that's what we use estimates for to solve these two problems first i want to know how much it will cost second i need to trust the developer that my money are not you know wasted the solution for that instead of using estimates which don't work which are not effective i'm suggesting first for the planning problem measure the speed like with the taxi driver measure how fast these people usually drive from here to there measure how fast this team usually solves the problem of that size it's not so easy again i'll give you some a number of number of instruments for that right now but but it is possible it's not so easy but it's possible with bureaucracy for example the company i'm managing right now i'm building right now uh we make it more possible than it but than it is possible with uh with a traditional team so we are actually measuring the speed programmers are delivering and because we're using micro tasking then for us it's quite easy because every task is really small and it's like half an hour usually sometimes one hour so we know 
how much code and how much uh, results and how much money and how much you know everything how much how many pull requests how many changes to the code a programmer one programmer can produce per that amount of time and per that amount of money so we have a number of metrics which actually uh, are similar to the metrics I said I, I mentioned with the taxi example so we know how much uh, progress we can make for one for one dollar there was another article uh, 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 there was another article on the blog let me find it uh, which uh, yeah where I, I, I start I, yeah the, it's called how expensive is your outsourcing team so the article is asking the question uh, whether you can in your team uh, say how how much progress uh, the team produces for a hundred dollars let me let me put it in the show notes uh, yeah let me put it here before i forget yeah it's called how expensive is your outsourcing team so uh, the, the question is do you know in your team it's outsourcing or not outsourcing doesn't really matter so do you know um, how much code or how much feature, how many features or how much progress the team can make for $100? It's really difficult to say for most teams. For, I would say for all teams, for most teams. Because we don't measure that. We don't calculate that precisely. We know approximately how much we can do in $20,000 and like a month of work or two months of work. But that's a very, uh, that's a very, uh, very large uh, pieces of work which are not manageable when, where the numbers are so huge for customers it's, real, it's so difficult to measure it's like asking a taxi driver uh, let's go to the, to the downtown and the taxi driver will say you know I'm spending I'm driving approximately 5,000 miles a month and it takes me approximately I don't know seven thousand dollars these numbers are not really helpful for us because we need smaller, you know, we'll, we need more precise calculations. We need to know how to get to downtown. We need to know how much it takes, approximately it takes usually to get there. So how much you spend for that small distance. The same for the software development. We need really uh, fine-grained uh, numbers, which are like how much you can do for $100. Most people don't have that, and that's my point. Um, so let me get back to the main to the main track of thought. So instead of estimating, I'm suggesting to do two things instead. Measure the speed of how fast is the team team is going usually. That will help you to plan because you know the scope you need to implement and you know this you know the speed the team can move forward with. You can put that together and then you can plan. Of course, that plan is not going to be accurate, like 100% accurate, because there could be some risks and everything. There, you do the risk management. That's a separate subject. You do the risk management, you ask the team what can, could get, get, what can go wrong. Like you can, you can ask the taxi driver, how do you estimate the traffic today? Do you know about any accidents on the road? Do you know whether your car is in a good condition? All that things. And the, the car driver, the taxi driver will tell you uh, a lot of inputs, 
which you can put together and create your own risk list. And then you will know that the driver will, the driver will get you to the downtown for $18.50, but there are five risks on top of that. The car is too old, the driver is too old, maybe he will get sick in the middle of the trip, and uh, the traffic is too high right now in this time of the day, and there were two accidents on the road already, so maybe there will be more. You put that all together, and the risk of, of having a trip for $50 is like 7.5%. That's your, that's your plan. That's the same you do with the software development. You ask your team, how fast do you usually develop? How much can you actually produce for $100? They tell you, look, usually we produce like 0.3 features for $100, which means, I don't know, two classes or three Java classes, one unit to two, two unit tests, and, uh, and, and then, uh, I don't know, a number of user interfaces, maybe a number of forms. I don't know your specific case, but some, some numbers. Then you put that numbers on top of your scope, which you know how much you have, how many features you have in your scope, you know how many, approximately how many Java classes and unit tests you will need to create. You multiply that one, this by that, and then you get a number. Then you ask your team, what could be the risk? Like, what may go wrong? And they tell you, look, we may lose the architect because that guy is like, they, he's planning to move to Google. And then there could be some problem with this area in the software because we never done that before. There's like machine learning component, which we don't know how to use. So there could be, potentially will take five times longer than usually. And there is a problem with this, uh, I don't know, with... Uh, uh, with this area of your code, which is um, which is which may be too complex, and there are a few problems which may be may be unsolvable and will take out more time. Then you put all of that on your risk, and then you see, okay, my software will cost twenty five thousand dollars, and the risk that it will cost a hundred thousand dollars instead is seven point five percent. That's what you have. That's your estimate. And then the second problem, the problem of trust. So how do you know that all these numbers are valid? Maybe they gave you, maybe they will move slower than usually. Like you hire a taxi driver and instead of, it, he will give you all that. He will give you the, the promise. He will give you all the numbers. You, 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 you plan it and then the driver will start driving you, making circles and detours and just driving around the town just to make more money. And they will tell you, look, I told you. Usually it's $20, but now it's 50 because there was an accident, but there were no accident on the road. So the driver may, may lie to you. How to prevent that? You have Google Maps for it. So you look at the Google Maps and the Google Maps says, drive left and the driver takes the turn right. You say, look, what are you doing? You have to follow the instructions of Google. So you can't cheat. You have to do what the Google says. So you have some third party control, third party controller. Uh, who is controlling the driver. With the software guys, software development, you also need something like that. You cannot just trust the software team that they will do what they estimate, what, what the numbers they, they gave you, what the previous numbers they have, uh, that, there is, that, there, that they will follow, that they will produce the same numbers. There is no like guarantee unless you control them. So you, you can't trust them. It's not about you know, how good these people are, how honest they are. Just like I said, they're people, they're programmers. They, they may make mistakes and they may do wrong things unintentionally, but because they're people. So you need to control them. How to control them? I'll list a few things right now. So let's go for the 
for the things. Uh, so first of all, let me list uh, a few things which will help you uh, to measure uh, the previous speed, like the, hist the to measure, uh, to analyze the history of the of software development team. And then I will give you a list of things which will help you to control them. So since we know that we need to do th two things, first one, measure the speed, second one is control that they're not lying, then let's list uh, what exactly, what, you know, in practice, what we can do in order to enforce the two, uh, the two components. And then we can skip the estimates forever. We don't need estimates anymore. And then we'll finish. Part one is how do you measure the speed of the software team? So what do you, what are you looking, what, what, what numbers should you look at? I'll speak from my experience. That's what we're doing in Xerocracy and some of them we're not doing right now, but we are planning to do that. Uh, we are counting how many tasks an average developer can close in an, in an amount of time. So uh, uh, a good developer uh, is closing in you know, our statistics right now says that a good developer can close a task in approximately four days and a task is like half an hour and a good developer can more or less effectively work with the concurrently work with about 20 tasks I'm not going to do the math right now and show you all the formulas you can do it yourself but I'm just showing that we have these numbers we know how many tasks a developer can do in an hour. We know how many, how much time it takes for a developer to close the task from the beginning till the end. It's about four days. If the developer is really like, you know, really focused on our tasks, then it takes four days for such a small task of a half an hour. Because it's not just, you know, just writing the code. It's also creating pull requests. It's also going through code review. It's also going through all the static analysis, all the unit testing. A nightmare and all the problems which we have in front of a coder before the task uh, gets finished, gets closed. Um, we also measure uh, the amount of uh, we also measure the amount of uh, we, we measure the code coverage, for example, which uh, we know what is the what is the target code coverage, and we know how long it takes for a team to reach that code coverage when the project is just, is just starting. So we can put these numbers together and we can show it to the customer and, exp and, and promise something, uh, promise how long, how much it will take approximately to get from zero code coverage to like, you know, 80% code coverage and how much effort it takes for a developer. We, we know these numbers, we can calculate them. Uh, we, of course, have dollars like, you know, money numbers, so we know how much we pay for each developer, and that's why we can, you know, put that amount on the scale of uh, their speed of delivery of the tasks, and then we can measure um, how much will it cost in terms of dollars and, uh, and you know, monetary numbers for the customer. Um, we also measure... Uh, mistakes of developers that's what we're implementing right now it's going to be like you know it's going to be live in a few days maybe so some developers are uh, creating so-called um, we call them blanks so sometimes the developer creates a pull request which is never which is never merged because the pull request is uh, you know just wrong for a number of reasons like the code is bad and, and blah 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 so the pull request will not be merged it's a waste of resources 
because the pull request will be reviewed, there will be code review, there will be architect involved to, to check the code, and there will be some money will be wasted. And then if it's a rejection, then this money is it's, it's a waste. So the customer has to know how much money will be wasted on these pull requests, which are never merged, like dead pull requests. And now we're calculating this number. So we'll know for each developer how many blanks that particular person produces per that amount of tasks, per that amount of successful merges. So let's say I'm a developer, I create 50 pull requests and two of them are blanks. So my mistake rate is like what it is. It's, uh, it's like 2.5% or so. So for each developer, we'll have that number. And we know, I mean, the higher the percentage of blanks, the, 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 more, the, more, um, the more money will be wasted on that, on that person in the project. That's also a good number. Um, also, uh, we're going to calculate and measure um, uh, statistically how much, uh, how much noise in terms of you know talking and tickets and, and comments each developer produces and that means the more noise a developer produces the more the more conversations the more talks are associated with that person and the more comments are posted by that person uh, then uh, the more we call it the more well of course in relation to the amount of code produced so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see how much code is is created by that person and how much text and of course, the more text you write and the less code you write, the more toxic person you are, the more noise you create in the project, the higher the chance that that, that developer will cause you know, troubles for the project and will cause uh, delayed and, 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 and uh, you know, never merged tasks. Something like that. We're just starting to experiment with this number, but it will be an interesting number to see. I'm giving you that not only to promote zerocracy, which is also the, the purpose, but also to demonstrate that there are numbers which you can use in your particular team in order to predict the future. Not estimate, but predict the future. How accurate and how precise will be that prediction depends on, on the quality of your numbers. You show that prediction to the customer just as a prediction, just as a taxi driver predicts how much it will take. And then the customer will put that numbers into, into, the estimate, into, into, into his business plans, into their business plans. That's, that's all for the speed part. The second part, like I said, let's discuss how can you actually uh, control the developers. How can you be sure that they're not lying to you? How can you be sure that they are driving the right direction, the right, the right route, like the taxi driver? We want to be sure that the person is driving the right way. There are a number of ways. Well, first of all, of course, I said it many times, are independent technical reviews so you need to have someone else in the project who will check the the work of the people who you hire so you hire a team don't trust your team i said it many times don't trust your developers this is not only bad for you it's only bad it's also bad for them if they are just working without no control if nobody is checking their the quality of their results if nobody is watching them they are they degrade as a professional developers. They are not, they're not going to be happy because of, out of that. They want to be controlled. They want to be monitored. They want to be regularly uh, reviewed by some quality reviewers. And the higher the quality of that quality reviewers, the more professional they are, 
the happier will be the team because they will learn a lot from the reviews. They will improve. They will see that the customer is not just uh, not trusting them and trying to somehow take advantage of them. But the customer openly declares and, and, and um, openly announces that uh, there is no trust involved in this project. There is always, we're based, on, we're based on objective facts and objective instruments of quality control. So trust is what people do when they can't control quality, when they're not capable of doing that, when they're stupid, basically. Trust is what we do when we are stupid or weak. That's when we rely, that's when we resort to trust. When we are strong, when we are smart, we have other instruments aside from trust. We have quality control, we have uh, you know, quality checks, we have uh, reviews, we have uh, uh, interest, uh, what they call them, uh, inspections. We have other instruments which are way better than trust. What instruments? Independent code review, independent technical reviews. Uh, that person, you, in, you invite that person to your project, preferably different people every time. You ask that person to, to review all technical artifacts, all possible technical artifacts, not only code, but also log, also log files, database structure, uh, develop, uh, DevOps scripts, uh, deployment platforms, uh, server infrastructure, uh, you know, data, like I said, database structures, uh, files, I don't know, emails, uh, chats, protocols, everything. Just everything that you, which is digital. The person reviews that and gives you an informal report of what's going on in the team. You rely on that report and you correct your developers. You say, look, the, the reviewer, the independent person said that you are not, you know, that we are not designing the database correctly. That we, if we improve that that way, it will be better. So make it positive. Don't, don't, don't blame your programmers, but say, look, I invited someone and that person said that we together are making that mistake. We are in the same car with you. We are driving the wrong direction right now. Can you please turn left now instead of right? And developers will appreciate that if you do it regularly. If you don't do it at the end of the project when everything is spent and all the money are burned and then all of a sudden, like most people do, then they hire someone and say, can you, can you please review what these guys did for me? And then it's too late because the reviewer will say, you know, there are so many mistakes, but they're not correctable anymore. It's done. You, you burned all your money. What do you want to do now? It's, it's gone. You, you can only close the project and start it from scratch. So do the independent reviews every week from the first day of the project. Check everything. Check quality of code. Check, like I said, scripts, everything, database structures. Also, of course, you need a lot of automation to control your developers. So don't let them do manually you know, a lot of things. Make sure they automate as much as possible. They need to automate their deployment, their merging procedures, uh, DevOps, uh, DevOps manipulations, everything. So everything has to be, have to be, everything has to be uh, automated and made in scripts, not, not manually, because there's a high possibility of changing your team, of changing someone in the team which you have to be prepared for. And uh, the, the, the more prepared you are, the higher the quality of everything, which will help you to make sure that the programmers are not cheating on you, are not lying, and are not making mistakes. So in most cases, they're not lying. I'm not saying that programmers are like, you know, bad people. In general, they're good people. They, they, do, they, they like to do stuff right, but they don't know what to do right. It's very often that they're not professional enough 
to do everything right. And we all need to learn, you know, we are learning every day. And you need to make sure that they are learning and improving as soon as they can, as fast as they can. And that's why you need to control them and enforce all the possible quality checks. Like with the taxi driver, Google Maps is the perfect controller because, you know, it's, it's way better now than it was 20 years ago when we had, like, you know, paper maps and taxi drivers cheated a lot. Now they, can, can, they can't do it that much, that, that, that many times because the Google is there, the Google Maps is there. You have to invent something like Google Maps for your project. That's my point. Something similar to Google Maps. Somebody who will always check how your developers are moving forward. And give that information to both developers and you, like in the taxi, like in the taxi cab. You're sitting there, mop, there, there's a map in front of both of you, the driver and the passenger, and we always know how good is our trip. Are we on the right way or we need to, you know, we need to change something? The same should happen with the programmers. And then you will need no estimates. I'm finishing. So if you have both of that, if you have uh, the proper uh, the proper statistics of how the team usually moves forward, how the team usually develops the software, how the team usually spends the money, and you have a proper control of how the team now spends the money, of how the team now produces the code. You can put these two numbers together, and you can properly plan your numbers, you properly plan your business case, you properly plan your, your, your finance, and you have the proper trust. Because there is no trust, there's control. So the problem of trust can only be solved by implementing control mechanisms, not by picking the right people and honest people. There are no honest people. All people are you know, thinking about themselves, first of all. So your job as a manager of these people is to make sure that, that the proper control instruments are in place. So that's, that's what I wanted to share about estimates. I believe there should be no estimates in software projects. If we have a team which is working by estimates, then most probably the team is not professional enough. Or the customer is stupid enough and the team is lying to the customer intentionally. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you very much for listening. See you, see you at the next podcast. Bye-bye.